Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise me to Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Although the women that morning didn't believe it, the women who went to the tomb that Easter morning were still living in a world of unbelief, a world in which sin still holds sway, a world in which the dead remain dead. And so they were fussing about things that do not matter. They were fussing about spices and anointing and funeral preparations. They were fussing about who was going to roll away the stone from the mouth of the tomb because they did not believe it. They had not taken to heart all of the things that Jesus said to, him, said to them, that the Son of Man must be handed over and he must be crucified, but that on the third day he would rise again, that though they destroy the temple of his body, yet the grave could never hold him. They didn't believe it. And so they were still living in this old world, this dreadful world of unbelief, where the devil still reigns. After all, that's what it means. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, it means that the devil still holds sway over this world. That sin still rules in our hearts. It means that everything is hopeless and helpless. And maybe that's why they were trying to console themselves by doing this last thing for Jesus. Bringing some spices and hoping to anoint his body. They didn't believe it, and so they went to the wrong place. Why do you look for the living among the dead? You seek Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified. He is risen. He is not here. In their hearts, they were living as if nothing had changed, as if everything Jesus said was untrue, and they were just going to go back to life as they knew it before. And it would have been tragic, but you can recover from that kind of a tragedy. You can get back to the way things used to be. We're all very good at that. Getting back to how things once were. Living comfortably and at ease. Living as though the way the world lives, that's how things ought to go. And as though the grave is our destiny just like everyone else's. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe what he had told them. And so the angel rebukes them. Go and tell his disciples, he's not here. Just as he told you, he said this would be the case. Nobody believed it. The disciples didn't believe it either. Peter and John had to have a 
race to the tomb to see it with their very own eyes. Thomas had to stick his fingers in the side of Jesus before they could believe it. The empty grave really is only needful for those who don't believe what Jesus said. You don't need an empty tomb. You don't need to see it with your eyes because you have the words of Jesus himself. You have the Holy Spirit placed into your hearts to believe that Christ is risen. And that means that everything that he said and everything that he did has been fulfilled. Death has been conquered, sin has been destroyed, and the grave, the one certainty in life, the grave, cannot hold you. That is a dramatic difference, a stunning and life-changing difference between old and new. It's really hard to wrap your heads around how different life is before Christ and after him. But to give you some perspective, think back to the Exodus. Think back to the Passover. Think back to Charlton Heston standing with the Ten Commandments or raising his staff ready for the Red Sea to be parted. Think back to that. If that's the only picture you have in mind of the Passover is Charlton Heston, that's okay. It's a good, it's a good starting place. We can, go, we can work with that. Charlton Heston standing there ready to part the Red Sea. Do you remember the story? What led up to that moment? The people of Israel, God's chosen people, were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. They had come to Egypt as a small family, 70 people, a small group of people fleeing from a famine, but God provided for them and they grew so that after 400 and some years, there were 600,000 of them. And that didn't please the Egyptians very much. They were afraid, so the Egyptians enslaved them and drove them hard, and the people cried out to God. So God sent them a savior, Moses who was to carry his word to Pharaoh, let my people go, and who was to execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. That's what the ten plagues are about. Showing that the Nile and the sun and the forces of nature, they can't hold a candle to the true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So one plague after another is brought on Egypt, but their hearts were hard. Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't listen. And so things got worse and worse and worse until the final stroke, the tenth plague. God said to Pharaoh, in this tenth plague, all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die. All of the firstborn of your sons, of your servants' sons, and even all the firstborn of the cattle and the livestock, they will die unless you repent. Pharaoh hardened his heart yet, yet again, and so this final stroke was dealt. But... But God loved his people, and he was there to deliver them, and so he gave them a way, a way to be saved from the angel of death. You remember how this goes. They sacrificed a lamb, a lamb a year old without blemish, and they took its blood, and they painted it on the doorposts of their houses, so that that night when the angel of death came through the land, he would see the blood, and he would pass over their houses. The houses of the people of Israel, the families of Israel, they would be spared this terrible judgment if they believed God's word and if they painted that blood on their doorposts. Now when this happened, when the angel of death came, there was a great cry in the middle of the night when everyone realized what had happened. And so it would be in haste, quickly, that the people had to leave because they were no longer welcome. And so in preparation for that quick departure, God told the people to bake bread but do not expect it to rise. Unleavened bread, bread without yeast, bread that doesn't need as much time to prepare, that's the bread you're going to eat on this day because you're going to have to leave quickly. 
Now, God gave them these things, these gifts, the Passover lamb to spare their firstborn sons, and the unleavened bread so they would be ready to go. And he said to them, this is going to be something for your whole lives long, for generations and generations. Do this again, year after year. Sacrifice that lamb, bake unleavened bread for seven days, for seven days in a row, no yeast in your houses. Why? So that when your sons look at you and they ask you, why are we doing these goofy things? Why are you sacrificing a lamb? Why are we eating unleavened bread? You can say, because it was then, that time in Egypt, that God saved us, that he rescued us, that he drew us out, that he took us from slavery, from the house of bondage, and from the iron furnace, and he set us free, and he set us on a course to a land that he had promised to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that our God better than the gods of Egypt, better than the gods of the nations, better than statues made of stone and wood. Our God is a God who acts and who loves and who saves. And so, year after year, the people were to celebrate the Passover. You'd think it wouldn't be hard for them to remember what God had done. It wouldn't be hard for them to remember that night, what a dramatic and stirring event it was. It would hold sway in their imaginations for a long time, you would think, and yet... Not three days into their journey into the wilderness, it's as though they forgot. They started grumbling against God. Did you bring us out into the wilderness to starve us? They started complaining against God. We would have been better off if you'd left us in Egypt, they said. We liked it as slaves. Send us back. At least we had food to eat there in Egypt. They so quickly forgot and acted. Here's the key. They acted as though God had never rescued them, as though nothing had changed, as though what God had done for them was a trifle, was small and insignificant. They acted as though it were nothing. It's a dreadful thing, that grumbling and that despair that they experienced. But God bears patiently with them. He leads them into the promised land. He delivers their enemies into their hands, and he establishes a nation for them, gives them a king in righteousness, and still they fade away. They cannot hold on to his promises. That is the danger of a day like today. A day on which we witness how much has changed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Make no mistake. The weekend in which Jesus died and rose was the most significant weekend in the history of the world. Nothing more important has ever happened. The very Son of God, having taken on human flesh, died on the cross to forgive your sins. He bore the punishment that you deserved for every last and least sin that you've ever committed for the great ones and the small ones. He took it all for you. And he did not remain in the grave, but because God meant for salvation for you, because he meant to bring you out of the grave, he also did that for Christ and drew him up. And on the third day, Jesus rose. Nothing more important has ever happened now, it may seem like a historical fact, something that happened 2,000 years ago that you might learn in a history class, like Caesar crossing the Rubicon or the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which, yes, have an impact on your life right now, but this is different. This is so different. It's as different and, in fact, more different than coming out of slavery into freedom, out of death and into life. That is what has changed for you because of what Christ did for you on the cross. So here's the danger. The danger is that you go home today, having heard this story, 
and that you live as, it, as if it never happened. The danger is that you, like the people of Israel, leave here today and promptly forget your God who saved you from sin. We are all prone to that. That sin lurks in our hearts. It's a dreadful temptation to think that we are making our lives for ourselves, that we are securing our future, and that sin can have its way with us. Just like the people thought, I'd rather be back in slavery in Egypt. And so do not do that. Do not live that way. Leave here today resolved to live as though this matters, as though Christ has died for you, and that you've been raised with him. Live as though sin is the worst thing imaginable. Sin is the cause of death. Live as though you do not need to hide your sin or make excuses for it any longer. Do you see that instinct in your own heart? We all have it. To make excuses for our sins, to cover them up, to act like they're not so big a deal, to make justifications as if God would understand this or that sin that I love. Don't live that way any longer. Recognize, first of all, that the wages of sin is death, but that is precisely why Christ has come and died for you. Your sin cannot hurt you anymore. Don't settle for such little things as making excuses. Instead, hand your sin over to God and let him forgive it. Let it be gone. As far as the east is from the west, pitched into the depths of the sea, nailed with him to the cross, it's gone. That's what the crucifixion means. Your guilt has been atoned for. Your sin has been taken away. And that means that death is no longer something to fear. It has been amazing over the last several years to see how afraid we are of death. How afraid, terrified our world is of death. How the fear of death keeps people from even coming to church, which is their hope, their future, their salvation from death. How afraid we are of death. Don't live that way. Death has been destroyed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. If Christ was raised from the dead, then death has no power over you. Live in this new life, this new world, where the dead do not stay dead, where the dead are raised, and those who trust in Christ are given eternal life. Do not live as if everything is hopeless. That's the way our world lives. It throws up its hands gradually more and more in despair. You can see it all around you. You can see it in the faces of the people of this world. They live without any hope. They live in despair because they do not know. What a tragedy that they do not know. That the very Son of God died and rose for them. Do not live that way. Live as those who have hope. Those for whom every last moment of your life, every breath that you take has eternal significance. Because it does. You've been redeemed by Jesus and that means that no moment is wasted, no moment is leading to despair, there is no grief or sorrow, there is nothing too burdensome for Christ. He can take it all from you and exchange it for his joy. Live that way. That's a hard life to live because we battle against our flesh, we battle against the devil. From beginning to end, it's a battle. But you are not unequipped for this battle. That's precisely what Jesus does for you in giving you his word in sharing this good news with you, in telling you again and again how much he loves you. It's why every Sunday here, the words are spoken in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, lest you forget. Lest you forget that all of them are forgiven. Lest you forget that death cannot hurt you. Here it is, every week, and in fact, every day. You've got Bibles in your homes, 
You know God's word. You've heard it. Listen and rejoice. Live as though death has been conquered. Cleanse out the old leaven. That's how St. Paul puts it. Get rid of the yeast. Get rid of the leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says a little bit of unbelief. A little bit of despair is too much. So get rid of it all. A little bit of malice, a little bit of evil is too much. Instead, live in sincerity and truth because that is what God has given to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Christ, your Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's been sacrificed for you. Nothing can go wrong for you. There is only a future of joy and peace for you. You who have been called by God, you who have been chosen by him, you who have heard today... What those women heard from that tomb, he is not here. Christ, the crucified, he is risen. Do not look for the living among the dead. Make that the theme for your lives. Don't go looking for the living among the dead. Don't go looking for life in the midst of death. Instead, seek it from God. Put your trust in him. He is your savior. He loves you more than you know. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.